Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on uh, the Practical Preservation Podcast, we have uh, William Callahan uh, with us from the Pennsylvania Historical Museum Commission. I've been working on that. I always want to put museum first. So <laughs> get that a lot. Yeah. So uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So so tell me about your background. So uh, I work for the State Historic Preservation Office. We're a bureau within the Historical Museum Commission. Um, every state has an SHPO. Um, this is my third. I've also worked uh, for the state of Illinois and their state preservation I worked in the state of Nebraska and their preservation office. Uh, before that, um, I worked in what is now a designated Main Street uh, uh, community um, uh, that's also listed in the National Register of Historic Places um, as a business person. I managed okay. a couple of different, uh, uh, worked in a couple of different um, uh, businesses in, in in historic district in the Oh my gosh! In the 1980s, um, <laughs> which got me interested in in community and economic development uh, in, in preservation as a community and economic development um, tool, which is kind of the direction that I come from, the perspective that I take with preservation. Um, for the Pennsylvania State Preservation Office, I'm the Western Pennsylvania Community Preservation Coordinator. I'm based in Pittsburgh, and I work uh, for the SHPO in the 26 westernmost counties of, of the Commonwealth. Um, I have colleagues who work out of Harrisburg uh, in the central and northeastern part of the, of the state in a similar capacity as myself. And I have a counterpart in the Philadelphia region who works, I think it's in seven counties, um, Philadelphia and, and the surrounding counties there. Um, our role is to provide technical assistance to essentially anybody who asks for it. Um, property owners, developers, historic preservation advocacy organizations and individuals. Um, we work a great deal with municipalities um, on managing historic resources within their uh, purview. Um, but we also work with state agencies and federal agencies and regional planning organizations on developing uh, kind of preservation, a preservation design ethic within their various uh, roles. And that's interesting to me because I I've I've called in with questions before with a few people that I that I know from th different things that I've done, but I did not realize that you did that for like you know like that just anybody could call in. So I'm glad to I'm glad to know that as a resource. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. My, what I like to tell people is I've got the best job in the world. I don't necessarily have, well, I do, uh, but in terms of public facing programmatic responsibilities, I just need to know how to be able to send people to different different uh, programs right, yeah. within the office. But the fortunate part of that is I also am expected to and do have um, uh, connections with, with uh, resources and, and, and organizations outside of our agency. So my, my, my job in, uh, to a large extent is to help act as a convener with different, with different um, organizations and individuals with our agency. Right, and and I, I I think that's really important for people to to realize that that is a, a a resource because I don't think that the average person even necessarily realizes that the state has a historic preservation office. So then right. you, yeah. So, <laughs> so well, that's I mean, it's you know, this is a little bit of the weeds, but I'll tell you, I mean, this the position that I occupy um, in the western part of the state was 
and we can uh, talk about planning all day long, but right. um, we were responsible for implementing a statewide historic preservation plan that we, that we do every five years. And I've been here for 15 years before that, the statewide preservation plan, the public comment that the, that, that the agency got was that they weren't really, um, the, the presence in Western Pennsylvania wasn't felt, that there was a lack oh, of yeah. public um, understanding about what the State Historic Preservation Office actually did and was. So they, they created a position to help eliminate that, that, lack, of, that lack of connection with mm-hmm. folks out here. And it's, uh, if I say, if I may say, it's been pretty successful. Um, that's great. To the point where we now have two more people doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a big chunk of the state. <laughs> I try not to think about that. <laughs> um, I actually I was foolish enough to add it up one time. There are well over 900 municipalities and three and a half. Oh my goodness. Yeah. In the 26 counties, all the way from, you know, the city of Pittsburgh to uh, the smallest township in, in you know, Forest and Cameron counties. So. Yeah. So, so tell me what you kind of touched on it, but tell me why preservation, what, what got you interested in, in that? So uh, briefly, yeah, I, I actually worked in, a, I worked in, this is in the Midwest, this is in Illinois. I worked in a, in a community that had a, a, still is a lovely downtown commercial square, courthouse square. Um, and in the 1980s, um, at the same time, the heavy industrial economy collapsed around these parts, mm-hmm. the agricultural economy collapsed um, in the Midwest, uh, they made movies out of it. In fact, it was yeah. quite a quite a uh, distressing and traumatic time for folks who uh, were part of the agricultural economy out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a number of us who were active in in retail and commercial in where I like to tell people invented the Main Street. Um, had been actually invented several years before, but we didn't have the internet then, so we didn't know. Right. Um, and the Main Street program, the Main Street principles, uh, are uh, uh, basically it's a it's a it's an economic development program based in a context of historic preservation, and that's what that courthouse square did. I still have friends who still have businesses. They didn't go out of business, even though many were, um, in in large part because of that kind of economic development strategy. Um, I got interested. In, in the economic part of it that way, lived in Chicago for a number of years after I left that environment and really got interested in architecture and mm. how architecture influenced neighborhood development and neighborhood oh, yeah. attitudes um, towards community and economic development. Um, that, that's a really strong um, kind of ethic in Chicago. Um, and um, when an opportunity arose uh, in, the, in the Illinois State Historic Preservation Office, apparently um, I was, the fact that I was a Cubs fan and also the <laughs> fact that uh, uh, that, I, that I kind of had this this other experience other than kind of an academic um, right. preservation was was appealing to that office. And it's been, since then, um, it's been something that I've really, I, I feel very strongly that preservation um, isn't just about the brick and the mortar and the design and the, you know, the architecture, but it's about how do we understand the people in the buildings, both historically and and, 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 and today's and now, world. Yeah. And that that makes sense to me. And I think that that's when people are now that people are kind of doing that moving back towards the cities away from the suburbs, you know, that that that's what people are looking for that that it's not just everything looks the same. It's not just a cookie cutter, you know, you get you get variety and you get you get a um, you get character, I guess that's that's the right word. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, honestly, Danielle, it's, it's been, I've, I've been at this long enough now um, that I, and it's been, this has been kind of gratifying, frankly, mm-hmm. is I now work with, um, you know, historically, um, uh, historic preservation in many places had, a, to some degree, a negative connotation right. in economic development circles um, and in community development circles. Um, uh, there was, to the extent it was ever true, there was this perception that it was a uh, kind of a wine and cheese set kind of a thing to do that you could do that you know if 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 you had the time and you had the money it was great right. for you but we'll go over and do actual actual work over here um I, I but i have noticed over the last few years and it really has not been that long now the last four or five or six years that i've noticed a younger generation of leadership and advocacy who look at the same kinds of opportunities with the historic infrastructure of a community without necessarily calling what they do historic preservation. Right. 
Yeah. And um, that is extremely gratifying to me. I, I see because I, this is the way I, I happen to think of it is that preservation should not be a standalone, this is what we do mm -hmm. element of community planning and development and, and community culture. That it's right. part and parcel of, especially in this part of the world, yeah. where we have a preponderance of older and historic buildings in every single town, with right. a couple of exceptions, every single town that we work in. Um, this is what we have. These are our assets. How do we understand these assets? How do we find ways to invest in those assets? How do we talk to the public that's sometimes skeptical about that the, the, the efficacy of, of working with older historic buildings in terms of community development? Right. Because the yeah. people who live there get it. <laughs> yes. They get it. I mean, they're, they're yeah. the ones moving there. They're the ones who've lived there. They're the ones who've grown up there. Yeah. They get it. It is, it is sometimes, though, in our policies. Um, where we don't quite, we haven't made that connection yet. Yeah, and I, I, I think that that's very true. And you probably see it much as a, a much bigger overview of, and, and when we talk about challenges and trends, but probably than, than I do, because I just see like my little corner of it. So like, I think that that's a, nice to have a different perspective too. It's, it, it, it's yeah. something that I, I, I have come to. I will mm -hmm. say, um, uh, I'll just say it was in Nebraska, where I actually managed all the, all the SHPO programs statewide, mm -hmm. uh, well, with, with the exception of the tax credit program, um, uh, uh, that I was pontificating about some, I don't know, lovely architecturally significant house in what was a predominantly black neighborhood in, in, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, mm -hmm. when um, actually an intern stopped me and said, but Bill, you've got to put the people in those buildings. Nobody's going to care about this if right. you don't put the people in the buildings and the and the people are telling you this is what they want to do which is which was preserve their their history and their architecture there but they weren't talking about it in an academic that's real visceral connection they had with right. that physical place that led them to not, not because they were necessarily preservation advocates but they cared about the architecture it was home to them right and, and they, i, they I yeah and I think that's really important. I think that, and that's something that I've kind of had like a revelation about this this year. I read um, Slavery in the North and I've talked about it on the podcast a couple of times, um, but he talks about the collective memories and how pl places like trigger those memories. And if you don't have those places and you don't have those touchstones, you don't have those memories. So then it just it goes away. And I, so I think people feel connections to things that, that they can, you know, go and see places, and and you don't talk about it in a preservation stance, but it still is, it still is preservation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you know I've I've said this to many people that I wish I was a little bit younger, and I would I would love to go do a PhD on the on the on the um, the psychology of preservation and the, and, the, and, the, and that's the, what this book the, was. The, the, he was a psychologist. Yeah. 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 Um, because I find that really fascinating and, and compelling and powerful and a very good reason right. to look at preservation um, in, in maybe a different light than, again, I'll go back to some of our policies right. and kind of look at it. Um, yeah. Because I think, I think it has that real kind of human connection that some of, our, some of our older policies, many of our older policies simply don't address. Right, right. They, it's more focused on the building than, than the people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your work at the um, PHMC. Because I, I tend to be, you know, attention, def I have an attention deficit. Um, I, I, I'm fortunate in that I, no two days are the same for me. I, I respond to, and, and this is really interesting. I think this is interesting. Um, uh, I'll spend most of the day sometimes with a property owner who's just, they just want to recognize their family. They just want mm -hmm. their family, say, farm right. um, recognized in some fashion. And, and, I, and I try to help them think through what that might look like and, and how they might think about that. Um, to where on another day I work with, in fact, I was doing this earlier this morning, work with a city on the best way to approach a proactive preservation program citywide and the elements that would be necessary for them to to really have a meaningful impact on 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 neighborhoods within that city um, that that directly address 
the 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 built the, the built infrastructure. Um, I do um, also work. Uh, I work very closely with the staff in Harrisburg. Um, we we administer um, a number of preservation programs. State historic preservation offices are um, and are authorized by the National Historic Preservation Act. We actually receive um, a certain amount of operational funding from the National Park Service. Okay. So our office, to the extent folks have heard of our office in the in the past, we administer the National Register of Historic Places, right. which is a National Park Service program. We facilitate that in Pennsylvania. We administer the Rehabilitation Investment Tax Credit programs in Pennsylvania. Um, the, uh, the, the federal program we do in partnership with, of course, developers, but also the National Park Service. The state program, the State Rehabilitation Investment Tax Credit program. Um, is a DCED, Department of Community and Economic Development program that we uh, provide the design review uh, and, and, and historic structure certification uh, component of that program. Uh, we administer uh, statewide historic building survey program. We administer um, statewide archeological um, uh, programs uh, uh, on a number of different levels. Um, we're responsible for providing um, uh, guidance and, and information and leading, in some cases, um, uh, uh, federal and state regulatory responsibilities for historic properties. Federal agencies, according to Section 106 of the mm -hmm. National Historic Preservation Act, federal agencies are responsible for taking into account the effects of their projects on historic properties and seeking ways to avoid, minimize, or mitigate any adverse effects. Right. So we work directly with federal agencies and, and folks um, who might be affected by those federal undertakings on a, on a daily basis. Um, there is a kind of sort of Pennsylvania analog to the federal 106 that we liaise with state agencies on. Um, um, and we also administer uh, the Certified Local Government Program, which again is a federal program. It's a government-to-government-to-government -to -government -to -government cooperative program uh, for uh, municipalities that uh, make historic preservation um, a, a, a part of their uh, community planning process and, and, and uh, uh, pass either zoning or ordinances to help mm -hmm. protect historic resources. There's a dedicated funding that goes with that and some dedicated technical assistance that goes with that. So we administer the CLG program. It's got the most boring kind of undescriptive name ever for any program, the certified program. <laughs> what the heck does that even mean? Um, but, but the CLG program has been around since the mid eighties and, and it's been quite successful in Pennsylvania. Is that like the, um, the, like the, um, oh, now my words aren't coming to me. Is that like the historic district? Well, or is that different? It's it's that's a really good question because this is and I, that's a really good question because Pennsylvania because we are in Pennsylvania, there are two methods by which a municipality can protect their historic resources. And by the way, the only way historic resources are protected by any entity is through local government action. Right. Um, we can't do it. The Park Service can't do it. The federal regulatory responsibilities for federal agencies do not mandate a preservation outcome. Historic properties can and too often are uh, demolished or damaged or otherwise um, uh, adversely affected through federal and state action. Simply makes them uh, stop looking and, and try to find ways to avoid that, but they don't right. have to. So the only way historic resources are ever protected in Pennsylvania is either through zoning um, per the municipality's planning code or through uh, a designation of a historic district within the municipal boundaries with the Historic District Act. So municipalities can uh, protect historic resources within their boundaries through either the Historic District Act or the MPC. Um, that, if either of those actions meet certified local government guidelines, um, there's some specific guidelines that these these um, ordinances or zoning would have to meet, right. and they can become a CLG. Okay. Uh, but you can also you can have preservation zoning or have a preservation ordinance and not necessarily be a CLG. Go to that. Okay. Correct. Correct. Okay. Very good. So, um, and I guess that kind of segues us into to talking about grassroots um, preservation. So, I know Laura, who is 
my assistant for lack of a better, better, better word for her, but she, she does so much more had <laughs> yeah. reached out, it reached out to you. Um, and, um, uh, was, she's really interested in grassroots preservation. So, sure. so I had, I had kind of asked her like, what kind of things are you thinking about? And so she kind of sent me over a list and, and I shared it with you. So we'll just kind of talk and see, see where we go. So she, she was wondering about, you know, what steps would you take to save a building? We kind of talked about that, I guess a little bit, but, you know, being active in, in the local government planning process. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, and this is something that, that we have seen some, some, some significant changes in, in in different places. I think one of the most important things that anyone who's interested in preservation can do is, is, is um, and, and I know this is hard. I do know it's hard. I, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do, but to connect with your municipal government, connect with uh, your community development corporation who, who works within your area, work with, uh, with, with the community planning, county planning, um, uh, any preservation advocacy organization, neighborhood associations are especially important downtown business organizations. To try to, to, to break out of the kind of the, this, this idea that preservation is something that's other, right. that it's something else that we do. And to start these conversations with other organizations, find out what their priorities are, yeah. find out what their focus is, what they want to try to accomplish. And then, and then talk collectively about ways that preservation, that, that, that implementing a, a preservation-based design principle, a, 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 a traditional design ethic, if you will, um, fits within their priorities. And if their priorities don't have that kind of design ethic, that kind of thinking is, is part of what they do, then we should have a conversation about why not. Right. Let's talk about what, why that's, is it something that's just, Um, is there a development, uh, an idea that somehow implementing a, a preservation design ethic is somehow anti-development, anti-job? Because those, frankly, are fairly easily. Uh, right, they're easily disproved. Yeah, so, so finding out uh, some, what some of the uh, opportunities are in terms of other organizations, other individuals are, and then finding out what challenges within those, mm -hmm. those what, what kind of um, hurdles there are within that context. Is, is critically important for, for preservation advocates, for people right. who want to preserve the historic character, the sense of place in their communities. We can't, to the extent it was ever true, we who work on preservation simply cannot stay in our, in our and, and, and throw rocks at, at what everybody else is doing. Right. We, 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 we have to be part of longer term solutions for all kinds of different uh, uh, neighborhood and community development and economic development activities. Or we're not we're not going to be effective, right? Right. No, and, and that makes that makes sense to me. Are um, when you're at, after you've like had the answers to why they're resisting, or or do you do you suggest taking like the the concerns public, trying to get like publicity for it, or do you su suggest like trying to work all work together? I think I think one of the one I think one of the things that's really exciting to me as an old guy is is how much easier it is to get your get your perspective out right, right. Um, through through social media through through the tremendous different levels of social media that's available. Um, you don't have to just talk to a newspaper reporter now or talk to a board. Right. You can get your word out. I mean, what what you're doing with this podcast, Daniel? I mean, it's right. an excellent example of the kind of thing that people can do to reach and start conversations with other parts of their community mm -hmm. that simply didn't exist in the past unless you were willing to go knock on doors. Right, um, right. So I think, I, think it's, I think it's really important to think about that. Um, we do still kind of at, at times um, struggle with the idea of, of, well, we have to have a public meeting. And I think you do still have to have public meetings. This is where right. hard. Yeah. I think public meetings are so important, you know, especially in, in, in the kind of the context that we work in. Um, but public meetings aren't enough. If, right. if you only do, I was, I was recently um, at a, in a, in a public meeting community we're working on a historic preservation plan with. And the public meeting, it was virtual. It was only 12 people, only 12 people that had participated. 
But prior to that, through a number of kind of digital and online platforms, they'd reached hundreds of people throughout the community in different, in different ways. Right. So, so, so although it would have been great to have had more people kind of participate in this public meeting, um, people did already knew there was a foundation of support out there because we'd already been talking to it right. in other ways. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, but it's, it's, it's really important to kind of get that, get your point of view out. I think too, um, it's, it, it, again, it's a lot of work, but I think, you know, s- serve on, uh, if, if serve on a community development corporation board, uh, uh, volunteer to serve on a planning commission, um, uh, uh, act, you know, participate, actively participate in your community, you know, serve on a neighborhood association board, actively participate. And some of this people who are listening to this podcast are like, well, of course we would. Um, but, but sometimes the, the most simple, straightforward things are, 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 um, but it's important to make yourself that connected with the, with the community, I think. Right. And I think it's important too, to have a voice at the table that maybe yeah. has a different perspective. And, yes. and yes. if you, right. and yeah, and if you can, if you can do that, then you can kind of bring people your way, especially if they're not, um, especially if they're, you know, if initially they're re- resistant. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're part of the team, it's harder for people to ignore you. Right. It doesn't <laughs> help to, to, if you bring cookies or. <laughs> that makes, that can make all the difference in the world. If you bring cookies, people will come. <laughs> oh Yeah. She's the one that brought the cookies. He's the one. That would that would be my tactic. I'd win people over with food. <laughs> so um, the uh, other thing, and I know I get this question a lot with my consulting work, um, is funding sources. And I usually tell people for for private properties, there really aren't funding sources. Um, you know that yeah. like grants or or you know unless it's going to be an income producing property or um um and then there's some there's some things available for nonprofits that aren't available for other is are is that is that pretty much true or am i missing something um it's 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 true it, yes it's true as far as gonna, nothing you said is wrong but here's here's right. the thing the, the way and, and the way we like to talk about this is you know and a preservation project mm-hmm. is like any other kind of project that you might read about in the paper. There's going to be a number of financing sources, number number of the stack they call it, right. of financing is going to be as deep as any other kind of development you can think of. But the but the that stack might include things that aren't necessarily on the one hand available to different kinds of development, right. or what's available to other kinds of development aren't necessarily available to that preservation, that the rehab step. Right. Um, and so much of this also depends on kind of where, unfortunately, where you are and what you're doing. But I would always um, recommend that folks, if you live, I don't want to get too far down the weeds here because it gets complicated really fast, but, right. but if, you know, if, if I, I would, I would um, uh, reach out to your uh, county uh, uh, economic development folks to find out how community development block grant funds are dispersed in the county and whether or not your community um, uh, has those kinds of funds made available to it and what that process is. Um, As you say, generally speaking, single family owner occupied properties, there's no preservation specific funding available. But depending upon how that unit of government, depending upon how their block grant funding works and what their block grant application looks like. If they have each, each entitlement entity. So that each, each, each entitlement municipality, each entitlement program gets a certain amount of funding from the U S department of housing and urban development. Okay. And, and they annually that, that local municipality has to make an application to HUD for what they're going to do with that money. If that application, HUD's program guidelines for that kind of funding are very broad. Preservation, HUD allows. So if the application says 
we're going to use this funding for this block grant funding for X, Y, and Z historic preservation purposes, then you can use that. And if you okay. want, if a community wanted to set aside, you know, I'm just going to make this totally make this number up, twenty thousand. If an entitlement entity wanted to set aside twenty thousand dollars a year specifically for preservation-related funding, they can within their application. They can also apply for residential rehabilitation projects, for rental rehabilitation projects. These are these are things that HUD would allow, but they have to be part of that annual application. Okay. What many communities do. So they're not directly related to historic preservation. Right. They could have an impact on historic or older properties. What ends up happening many times is a municipality essentially sends the same application every year. And many times those applications, the plot grant, this they will be for infrastructure development. We have, especially you know, in the western part of the state, we have aging infrastructure, aging, aging sewer lines, right. age, all, all different kinds of aging infrastructure issues. Um, a lot of times it's for blight removal, blight remediation. Right. Too many places define blight remediation as demolishing, as, as, right. as knocking things down. That's not the definition of blight remediation in the HUD regulations. So you can actually use funding to, to remediate blight that's not necessarily demolition. So it's, so again, this is kind of in the weeds and it can get complicated, right. but having that, that conversation with your community development folks at the government level, your local government level about what are our priorities, what are our funding priorities for, for, for our, our entitlement funds, if, if they're available in your community, because they're not available in every community, right. um, can be something that, that, that preservation-related projects, even though they're not called preservation-related projects. Right, could you. It can have an impact on historic right. resources. Oh, that's good. I didn't know that, so I learned something. I, I did not I did not know that that was a, um, I did not know that that was an option, especially for, for a single-family owner-occupied. So I, I appreciate that. I learned something. Yeah, the HUD, the, it's, it's part 58 of uh, HUD regulations, and it has, it has, de defines what the funds can be used for, and and um, they're actually quite broad, um, yeah. um, amazingly so. In fact, now again, you know how how these things fit into you know broader community priorities, right? Uh, and 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 the, and the ability for a municipality for an entitled municipality to to manage different kinds of projects are different questions. They're serious questions. They're real questions. But whether or not the, the funding could be used for these kinds of projects, um, it, it is it it is possible. Right, right, and and that then ties back into being involved in the local government planning, right. Right. so that you right. you can you can make you can make it as broad as possible. So you just teed me up for my next comment, <laughs> which is, in order to do that, you really have to be involved in your local community planning process. You right. have to. None of this, none of what I just said in terms of funding, will make any difference at all if you're not. Uh, if, if you don't have literacy in your local community planning processes, mm -hmm. whether it's the county planning process or your local, your local government planning process, if you're not literate in those processes and what your, what your local comprehensive plan calls for, what your, what your county comprehensive plan calls for, if you're not literate in those things, you're not, and you're not actually then involved in those, that's, that's how we get to the point where there might be other kinds of funding available is through, through, through a definition of priorities at the community planning level. So that, right. that's, that's critically important. We can develop, and we do all the time. You know, our office, um, I neglected to mention that one of our programs is the Keystone Historic Preservation Grant Program. Right, um, yeah. And that's one that I'm familiar with for nonprofits. Sure, nonprofits and units of local government, both. Yeah. So, so there, there is the construction grant, uh, uh, Keystone grants, which are kind of self-explanatory. They're for, they're for either municipally or uh, nonprofit-owned or operated historic resources and brick and mortar grants. But right. the others are, are, are Keystone Project grants, which can be used to develop preservation-specific planning documents as part of a comprehensive planning process, as part of a standalone process. Um, it can also be used for historic structures reports and, and, and National Register nominations and surveys mm -hmm. of that nature. But we, 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 we do encourage communities to use Keystone funding to help elevate preservation, or at least the, the planning for preservation, the imposition of, of a preservation design ethic at right. the planning level um, will help fund that. Of course, all funding right now, I have to say this these days, 
nobody knows what funding is going to look right. like six months from now. Actually, I think everybody's got a pretty good idea what funding is going to look like. <laughs> right. But we don't know specifically. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's going to be, it's going to be hard for, for at least a little bit. Um, just until I guess the revenue and everything gets kind of balanced back out. Yeah. And that's, and yeah. that's, and that is true. And, it, and it's going to be hard, but here's the other thing. I mean, I, because I'm an eternal optimist and I am to the point of annoyance for some people sometimes. <laughs> I also think it's likely that at some point there's going to be more assistance. Um, yeah. Some of which might be available for exactly the kind of programming we're talking about. Right. So our current, you know, economic and, and, and health, public health crisis might actually most probably temporarily um, create some programs that we need to pay attention to because they might be right. So okay, well, very good. Are, do you have um, besides the the state office of historic preservation? Do you have a source that you send people to uh, to find information? Um, sure, I, 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 I'll, I'll say so. So if you go to uh, phmc.pa.gov and then uh, backslash preservation, or you can just click on the preservation drop-down menu on, on PHMC's main website. There's actually a, a, a community planning, or a, I'm sorry, a community preservation um, link. Okay. And, 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 and that link um, actually has other links to other organizations and other resources. Very cool, okay. As well as direct connection to, to me and my colleagues. Right. Um, that's probably the easiest thing for me to tell you right now. Okay. Very but good. But I do. But I do. I do. I, I really can't emphasize this enough. I send folks a lot. Of, you know, depending on the question, I send them to the local planning um, office, to mm -hmm. their, their their county planning office, their local economic development office, their their, their county planning, the county economic development office. If you if you're fortunate enough to live in a place, for example, Erie County or Allegheny County, where there are uh, or Cambria County, where there are robust uh, local preservation advocacy organizations, Erie County, um, uh, for example, uh, 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 Preservation Erie is a very strong preservation advocate. They've, they've, they've been able to accomplish a lot. I would encourage you to, to, to look them up. Um, in, in, in Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, we actually were fortunate enough to have three uh, pretty robust um, preservation advocacy organizations. Of course, one of the oldest in the country is the Pittsburgh History and Landmarks Foundation. Um, there's also the Young Preservation Association of Pittsburgh uh, and uh, 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 Preservation Pittsburgh, which is really an outstanding organization, has been doing some good work in, in Pittsburgh. Um, in Cambria County, the Johnstown Area Heritage mm -hmm. Association. Um, there are others. I'm probably going to get in trouble for not mentioning others. <laughs> You're so many, though. You have the whole half of the state. <laughs> I, there are. Because, because I, know, I know one of the things that I need to mention, um, too, is that a great deal of certainly Western Pennsylvania, but also the rest of this Commonwealth right. are in some ways served by state heritage areas, um, which have, they do micro grants for, and preservation is part of their task. Part of what they do is kind of heritage tourism based preservation and preservation in general. So again, in my part of the world, there's the, there's the national road uh, heritage area. There's the rivers of steel national heritage area. There's the, Oil Region National Heritage Area, um, the Lincoln Highway Corridor, mm -hmm. and the Route 6 Corridor, which both of which stretch across the Commonwealth. Right. So, so preservation advocates should be aware of the of the of the heritage areas in their um, in their in, the, in their their area. Where I just mentioned Cambria County, which made me think of it, is the Allegheny Ridge State Heritage Area. Mm -hmm. So, so there are there are other organizations that have preservation related. Um, programming and even in, in the heritage areas cases, funding that might be available for, for preservation programming that, that are important to, to know. I also, you know, because it's my, my kind of my pet um, concept is that the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources and the Pennsylvania State Historic Preservation Office both receive funding from the U.S. Department of the Interior. Mm -hmm. um, we receive it to do our historic preservation fund activity. DCNR gets it for their land and water conservation fund funding. DCNR and PHMC both are responsible to do statewide recreation planning on the, on the part of DCNR 
and state and historic preservation planning mm -hmm. for us. Something that's fascinated both agencies that was also, I think, kind of a duh moment for both agencies was when we do our public engagement or public outreach and, and ask people questions, most people don't see a whole lot of difference between outdoor recreation, historic preservation, and natural resource conservation. Right. These things all add to the value of place and the value of, of the local economy. And most people, actual people, not bureaucrats like me, kind of get that. And so when we do these surveys, they tell us, you've got to look at the we have to look at these in a comprehensive way, outdoor recreation, natural resource conservation, and preservation, because otherwise you're, you're missing one of the three legs of the stool. Right. So, so another um, kind of thought process I think any preservation advocate should have is who is doing trail development in my community? Who is doing um, park development? What kind of, of, of recreational resources and what kind of of natural resource conservation efforts are being undertaken in my community or near my community where I can talk with people about this overlap in prior prioritization in a community and how can I team up with them? How can, how can we match funding sources? How can we um, develop uh, planning processes that take into account all of these things and provide a more robust accounting uh, mm -hmm. for prioritization of projects? Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to, to keep those things in mind because gosh, because he tell us that this is important. People tell us that we need to look at these things comprehensively. Right. No, and, and I agree. And the other thing that I, and not that it's not completely related, but I have noticed that there's more like outdoor and, and conservation overlap than I maybe had realized before myself. But the other thing that I've noticed probably in the past few years is the overlap between sustainability and green building and preservation. And absolutely. those two groups don't talk to each other either. <laughs> absolutely. No, that's absolutely true. There was a yeah. time that was way back when, yeah. when, when lead certification was, a, was first getting started, you actually got more points for demolishing and grinding up a historic building than right. you get built in and grinding building. Uh, sort of that that's changed but, but yeah no you're absolutely right that's that's part that's part of that that's part of that construct absolutely yeah 100%. yeah yeah 100 so okay so what um challenges or trends do you see in preservation on on the positive side i'll start there i really okay. am i'm excited i mean i'm i've been doing this for a long since about 1980 i'm, I'm really really excited about next time somebody tells me Oh, those millennials, those Gen Xers, those, those, <laughs> those you know, Gen Zers, they don't know. I just want to shake them because I'm really excited about the leadership that I see coming up at the municipal level, at the nonprofit level, um, just about everywhere you can see of, of, of a younger generation of folks who might not have the words historic preservation in their vocabulary, but what they're talking about is something those of us who've been around forever have been talking about for a long time. Right. I'm really excited about that. My, the things I talk about, now in many municipalities is different than it was 15 years ago and it's mm -hmm. a much more gratifying conversation now than it was right instead of this is why you should do this it is now okay these are ways we can help you do it maybe this is the way we can help you think about it and that's a much more gratifying that and i i can't over it's hard to overstate how important leadership is in well any context but certainly this context finding leadership that's willing to work with folks who represent different kinds of approaches and priorities mm -hmm. that may have overlap that may be able to overlap is critically important and i see new leadership coming up that that understands seems to intrinsically understand how important it is to 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 to, to pull those things together um, right. because because they just make sense yeah, the, the more co more collaborative than being in at silos, everybody in their own silo. Right, yeah. exactly. So I see that as, as something really positive. I, I, I also think, I do think, um, and I'll talk about the, the bad things here in a little bit that I, that I see coming up, but, but I do think, I think longer term, I think this, this migration back into cities, back in, not even just cities, it's not even just cities, it's also even smaller towns from more rural areas, 
or even from areas outside. It's interesting to me how often in a smaller community up in the PA wilds, I run into people who aren't from there. And oh, yeah. From there, who found the community online, found Ridgeway online, and moved there from New Jersey because it looked like a great place to settle for retirement or what have you, or start yeah. their, their graphic arts business. Um, I think that trend long term will will continue. Yeah. On the other hand, I think short term we're going to have some real challenges in older historic central business districts, in older yeah. downtown areas, in older neighborhoods, dense neighborhoods. I think the current the, the COVID crisis I think is already making it very difficult in some cases to maintain a business model. Of, right. of office and commercial development in these places. Yeah. Um, and I think in what I think of a short term, the next few years, yeah. that, that's going to continue. I think, I think we're going to yeah. have a really tough few years um, because of this. I, I agree with you. And, and what it's doing, I'm, I've been watching and I'm curious about what it's doing to the commercial real estate market mm -hmm. and also the short term rental market. Yep. Yep. So those those are the the two things that I've been kind of watching and and I'm curious to see what 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 happens with both of those. You know that's really interesting. I I, I actually do I, I actually do serve on my local CDC, which is a, which is a Main Street organization um, in the town I live in, and um, <laughs> for the first three or four months of we've done a lot of stuff that has actually really I I think. Business, um, business. Um, but we also thought, okay, we really need to develop some plans and some strategies for what's going to happen, you know, four months from now, six months from now. Right. And we were kidding ourselves that, that it what's really, it's, it's that it really would be hard. over so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's really hard for people who are used to doing and used to planning for doing and trying to collect resources to get things done. It's really hard for those kinds of folks to say, you know what? maybe the best thing to do right now is not to just do something, but to stand there for a while. Right. Right. And, see well, and that, let's yeah. see how this all works out yeah. before. And so we've got some, some clear understanding of where these trends are going to go and what we might be able to, how we might use that to our advantage and how we need to protect those things that we already have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and I, I, I feel very fortunate that we have we have weathered this storm fairly un un um, unaffected. But the restaurants and those the retail stores, I just I my heart aches for them. Uh, you, you and yeah. me both. I, I just I I just it makes me want to cry because I you know I, I, my my I have family um, close family that has owned and operated restaurants for for decades, yeah. and I know I know how much hard work goes into those how much your soul goes into it how right. much your 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 you know it's it's not just a job or just a business and and to see those folks suffer the way they are right now just really and they're the core it's the core of so many older communities yeah it's yeah. the core business um a lot of the other businesses kind of feed off of that so yeah, yeah. well um, and and that's that's also the whole you know, the, with people not going back into the offices, the downtown's not having people there for lunches and all of I, that too. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. It's, it, it really, so yeah, the next, uh, uh, there's no other way to say this. The next couple of years are going to be tough for everybody. Yeah, yeah, they will be. So um, is there anything that you wanted to cover that maybe I didn't think to ask you or you thought about as we were, as we were talking? Um, you know, I, this, I, I, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I love to talk about this. I, I'm glad. <laughs> um, I think I think I think preservation. Um, I think the preservation of our built environment um, has has academic value. I think it's really my my back my my academic background is actually Greco-Roman histories. <laughs> so so, <laughs> so <laughs> believe it or not. So so I, I do understand the kind of academic value of understanding kind of the history of places and how the built environment can illustrate that history. I think it's fascinating, you know, moving into a, a place where, where the heavy industrial economy here built the country and in some right. ways, ways built post-war, post-war Western hemisphere. 
yeah. is fascinating. And, and seeing that is just amazing. And the community is built up around that. But that's not where my heart is. And I don't think that's where a lot of other people's heart is. My heart is in where we, the places we all call home. Right. And, 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 and how that emotional um, connection with our homes is based so much on what the place looks like, what that, what, what, right. what that sense of place, that feeling and association that that place is. I think that's where preservation really has value. It's harder. We, we can throw, I can throw economic study after economic uh, report that, that shows just how economically valued preservation is. And it is it really right. is how I came to this business. Yeah. But the older I get, the more I realize that's not even half the story. Right. It's not the whole story. It's not the reason why people do it. Right. Usually. Right. Yeah. And there actually, there actually has been, there, there have been, Public health. There have been public health studies done on how damaging to public health it is when you when you remove or in other in other ways remove people from or remove places from people um, that they've got a connection with. There's actually there's a number of studies out there that show how damaging it is to people's mental and physical health. So so it's we're not just making this up, you know. We're, we're right. Not just, so I think that's I think it's I think it's a real it's it's that important for us to. To, to, to make sure that we do make sure that our local, state, and federal policies that touch on preservation take those things into account and that we that we're, that, that preservation is not considered something that's other from everything right. else that we have to do. Because it, right. I, I think it's a sense of place, it's a very human characteristic to the place where we live. So, otherwise, good. thanks for letting me. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad you were able to, to come on with me. How can someone contact you? Thank you. Uh, the, 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 and the, the community preservation um, link that I mentioned at, okay. at, at phmc.pa.gov backslash preservation, you'll see the community preservation link. We'll have a link and a map of, of my contact information, uh, Brian Van Sweden, who's the central and northeastern region community preservation coordinator and Corey Kegerice, who's in the Philadelphia, the Eastern region. Um, our contact information is on that link. Okay, very good. I will, when this goes up on our website, I'll make sure that that it, link is there too, so that people can, can go Great. there and find it easy. So very good. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.